welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. So yes, today is a very significant um, uh, birthday for me, a bit of a milestone, and one of those uh, kind of a sobering milestone, and causes some reflection over the different stages of life and what you might learn and hopefully have learned along the, the way. And of course, I'm not the first person to consider the whole concept of stages of life, because if you know your history, you know it started way back with the ancient Greeks, the philosophers back then considered the stages of life and how things happen differently and how people should learn different things. Aristotle, he made it simple. He had three stages of life. It was like the beginning, the middle, the end. Boom. And then uh, the, um, the, the great poet uh, Solon, he had uh, ten stages of about seven years each. So if you're more than 70, then enjoy the extras. Uh, but, and then Hippocrates, he did it the other way around. He had seven stages of ten years each. Um, and then that, that concept of seven stages of life really stuck around right through to Shakespearean times. And you probably know Shakespeare's famous speech where he says, all the world's a stage. I think it's as you like it. Martin, our you know, resident thespian and expert in English, um, would tell us that I think that's the right play. All the world's a stage. All the men and women merely players. Have you ever heard that? Uh, and it goes on, they have their exits and their exits, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven stages. And then he goes through, and I won't read you the whole speech, but I, I read the other day, the last of it's rather sobering, um, he goes through the seven stages of life. Last scene of all that ends this strange eventful history is second childishness and mere oblivion. Son's teeth, son's eyes. Son's taste, son everything, without. That's rather bleak, isn't it? Well, I'm not quite in that last scene yet. Although I'm a little son's hair, I've still got teeth and taste. And a few other bits are still working. And I have something else. I have the Word of God. So I have a relevant Bible passage for each of the stages of life that I've been through. And I've got six, not seven, because I've only got to 60. So today I've got six lessons from six decades of life. Some things that I've learned, or should I say, I'm still learning. And a bit of a combo between that and what people generally learn or hopefully learn in these different decades throughout life. And of course, what the church has been learning, my observation over these years and how God moves in different ways and how the church is hopefully adapting to how the Holy Spirit moves in different seasons. Um, and of course, as I said, what the Bible teaches us. So I've got a passage or a scripture, something relevant for each stage of life. So you ready? Here we go. And I said to John, if you don't behave, it won't be six. It'll be 60 lessons and it'll be at least 60 minutes. So we'll just try and wrap it up earlier than that. So the first stage of life, ages 0 to 10, this is when you learn obedience is good. My children know this. Uh, you know, if they ever complained, what? Work is good. Say after me, work is good. <laughs> and uh, this was very easy for me to learn obedience because I had a military father with a classic author authoritarian style of parenting. So quick and clear co obedience was 
not an option in my family. You didn't question when you were told to do something. And I confess, I may have carried a little bit of that strictness uh, into my own parenting. So uh, children, three quarters of the natural born children are here today. I, um, I would like to offer my sincere apologies. And I'm making up for that now by being a complete softy with the grandkids. Much to my children's frustration, Dad. Dad, you were never like this with us. It's like, I know, I know, but I'm the grandparent. You do the discipline, I do the spoiling, you know? Um, and so I think I've heard that before and now we're just totally in that grandparent zone of, of spoiling the kids. Um, and Keel, well, yes, of course, that's... Yeah, Keel, yeah, the kids reckon Keelan, they reckon I'm soft on Keelan. Um, he's like, oh, flip, I'm glad I wasn't around 10 years ago. You know, <laughs> he reckons it's bad enough as it is. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, and of, so of course, now of course we need love uh, with parenting, with raising children in our lives and love and discipline. As Tony Chirkoff famously said from this very stage, when I asked him, you've been married for so long, you've raised four wonderful children, what's the key? And he said, it's very simple, kids need two things, love and discipline. Tony gave them the love, I gave them the discipline. And <laughs> That was his summary. <laughs> and so, but as much as we, yes, we do need love, submission to authority is a good thing. And those words, they, I guess they trigger some people. Submission, authority, you know, it, but it brings order to life that can be really chaotic and messy if we just follow our own desires. And, and of course, this is essential for good parenting. But it's not just about having order in your family because it, it prepares your children for life when they're going to have to submit to other th forms of authority if they want to get on in life. Because, um, you know, there's going to be people that you've got to respect out there in the real world. And, and of course, most importantly, authority, submission, discipline, obeying, uh, it teaches us to obey, to submit to and to respect the greatest authority of all, and that's God himself. And so uh, we, we want to revere, like Ruth was talking uh, before, uh, you know, the holiness of God and, and an appreciation of that. And sadly, many people live without any sense of awareness or, or fear of God or respect for God, and, and they're, they're not surrendering to his word, to his ways, uh, because they're so used to getting their own way. And I'm independent, I'm, you know... I'm allowed to do what I want to do and I'm, I'm not going to submit to any authority. Um, but, you know, you will find if, if you follow Jesus fully, you will be disciplined by God and it will be a good thing. And it won't always feel pleasant, but it will work out really well. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Here's the passage that refers to discipline in terms of our lives in God's hands and also how it relates to uh, people in their natural family. Hebrews 12 verse 7 goes through to verse 11, this passage. Endure hardship as discipline. <laughs> God is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. 
No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Wow. Now, of course, like I said, some people may have been, well, raised in a family where there were less than perfect parents, shall we say. So that might, that whole concept can be upsetting and triggering uh, when you talk about God as your father or discipline before God. But we all have the opportunity to discover that God is the perfect father. That even if you've had a really bad experience, you know, with your upbringing, God, and, and I, I shared that story um, a couple of weeks ago, or last week it was, when I just got back from Vietnam about that young woman, Joy, who had a terrible upbringing and her father uh, was abusive and left, abandoned the family. And then people would talk about God as their father. And in fact, she shared, I don't know if I share this, she said it was really upsetting when uh, other people would talk about their fathers or she'd see their friends with their loving fathers. And she found that very challenging for many years until she grew to the understanding that God is all she needs. And as, as difficult as it was without a good natural family and upbringing, she could supernaturally discover the power of God's love and care and protection as the perfect father. And we all have that opportunity, yeah? And part of that care that he offers is discipline. He does allow us to go through some tough times, some hardship, but it's for our good. Like there it says, so that we may share in his holiness and it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So this just shows God's heart behind any discipline or challenges or stuff that you may face in life. His heart and his motivation is love for your good, for your growth, for your benefit. And hopefully as good parents, we have that same touch, that same heart, that same motivation. And again, I know, you know, with my kids, I might have been a bit strict, uh, but you know it's for their good if you discipline them and, and uh, you know, prevent them from doing the wrong thing. But of course, we all have a choice. You can rebel against God. You don't have to submit to God's discipline. But it's crazy. It's just like a kid leaving home, running away from home, running away from that care, that protection, that, that discipline, but also that direction that it provides for your life. And so we all have a choice. And uh, I just figure the sooner you can learn to respect and obey authority, the better. Whether it's in the home or at school or at university, teachers, lecturers, in the workplace, with the boss, and in life, of course, with God himself. So I reckon we all generally learned something about that in the first decade. As I said, I certainly did. <laughs> I just learned to do as I was told. Then ages 10 to 20, this is the second decade I'm talking about. This is where... I certainly learned, and a lot of people learned that you must be born again. And so uh, in the teenage years, or, you know, from 10 onwards, 11, 12, 13, you're starting to think about life. You're starting to make your own decisions. You're getting more and more freedom. As a teenager, of course, at 18, then you get, wow, you can do what you like. You've got wheels, you've got your driver's licence, you can vote, although you probably don't care about that. Uh, you can go clubbing, you can travel. The world, as they say, is your oyster, which I've always thought is a kind of a weird phrase because I don't like oysters, but 
But Shakespeare said that, so you can't argue with him. He, I think he coined the phrase. Uh, in other words, it's available and, the, you know, you might have to pry it open, but inside that oyster there could be a pearl. And, you know, at that age, you, the world is in front of you, yeah? Um, and also around that age, you're going to start developing habits that you'll stick with for the rest of your life. You're going to make decisions that determine the course of your life. Some major decisions. And, and, uh, and so you're going to figure out... The, the sort of routines that you like to do, your, your likes, your dislikes, your, your, you know, how you conduct yourself with other people and get on with people. And, of course, you're thinking about the bigger things in life. Why are we here? What's life all about? Is there a God? Who is he? How could I connect with him? How should I live as a result? And so for me, as I started to think about these things, uh, you've probably heard me share before, I just ended up realising through people witnessing to me, I need to give my life to God. I need to be born again. And, uh, and of course, notice there the words of Jesus. I think we've got a scripture. This is John chapter 3. You know the story, Nicodemus, wise, religious, uh, scholar, expert, Pharisee, uh, came to Jesus at night and, uh, and asked him, you know, what's... What, what, what's going on? He could tell. This, this, this guy has been sent from God. There's something special about him. Nicodemus was, was humble enough to question Jesus as, as a rabbi, as a teacher, even though he had the higher position in society. But he found Jesus challenging him and saying, you must be born again. They're not the words of an American evangelist. It's not a, just a, a version. For a while there, people would say, oh, 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 that's a, oh he's a born-againer. You've heard people say, that, oh, he's a Christian. Yeah, well, I'm a Christian, but oh, they're a born-again Christian. Ooh, a bit like, oh, watch out. He's a happy, clappy, born-again Christian. Wow, really crazy. You know, well, Jesus said it. You know, we don't just sort of become Christians by being nice people. or We don't just sort of find our way to heaven because we were, you know, deserving of it. You know, we've got to have that moment where we surrender our life to Christ. And we ask for new life to come in as our old life is, is, is surrendered to Jesus. And of course, I did that at the age of 15. And my constant prayer for kids and teenagers in that decade of life is that they would do the same. Because as you know, and maybe you related, relate to this, so many people are making you know, big decisions and particularly who they consider Christ to be. As Jesus said to Peter, who do you say that I am? Oh, well, people say, yeah, yeah, but who do you say that I am? That's the single best question anyone can ever ask themselves. Who do I say Jesus is? And, and, uh, and I pray, as I said, for the, the teenagers, the youth, the high schoolers, particularly on the Central Coast always. I mean, Tim up here, he's, you know, who was grateful for the years that he's had in our church and growing in God and it's, it's not just, uh, it's, it's not me, it's just the, the fact that he's been smart enough to plant himself in a local church uh, where he can see people living over the years and gleaning and learning things. Uh, and he also made that decision as a teenager. Uh, and uh, I remember him, you know, in our youth group, just being committed to Christ. And that's my great prayer for teenagers. And, uh, and uh, like all these things, that's often when people make that decision, but it's, you never, it's never too late or too early to give your life to Jesus. So, you know, you, you might not be a teenager. You, you might be in any age. In fact, the older 
the better to make this decision. You know, <laughs> you want to really make it before it's it's too late. Uh, it's the single best decision you'll ever make to say, Jesus, I need your life in mine, and I want to live for you, and I want to. Uh, just be committed to you, surrendered to you, and we discover the the most wonderful way to live. Yeah, amen. Uh, so then, next stage. This is my third discovery in my twenties, and again, a lot of people discover this. This is when you need to find God's call for your life. This is the decade where you made make some major decisions, major developments, two big ones, basically. What are you going to do with your life and who are you going to do it with? You know, what kind of career or calling you feel led to? And often people, not always, some people get married maybe in their late teens. Imagine being married at 19. Someone, some parents being crazy enough to allow their daughter to be married at 19. Terrible parenting. I don't know. Uh, that happened to one of our children. But we couldn't argue because we had already, because, you know, when Eleanor and Caleb got married, and Eleanor was quite young. They met at Bible College, and uh, and and uh, and of course that's where Ruth and I met. And uh, we couldn't argue. And especially when I met Caleb, I'm still trying to find a chink in his armour. It's ridiculous. Um, so uh, yeah. So and and of course the 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 best decision, the biggest decision you can find. And again, it doesn't have to be this stage of life. Can be any. But for me, it was very much. I want to find and follow. God's plan that he has for me because life is a combo of my decisions but also discovering principles, commandments and directions that I can get from God's word and the leading from God's spirit. And here's one powerful scripture for you. There's a lot of verses that talk about the call of God, destiny of God, direction that you can get. Uh, But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, very well known verse, for we are God's handiwork or God's workmanship. Some translations say you're God's masterpiece. Like he's a master, brilliant creator, craftsman, artist. You can imagine whatever God does, he, he does a good job. And you're created where, how, when? In Christ Jesus. You give your life to Christ, that's when things really take off. In other words, you're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So God has got a plan. And of course, like I said, it's a bit of a combination. It's not like oh, I've made one bad decision. I've lost all direction and I'm off the plan and oh no, I've missed the boat and God's going to wipe me out. There's always a way back to that plan. And it's not always like this clear blueprint that you know well in advance. God does, but we find it step by step, yeah? And so, you know, this whole thing about determining God's will, some people can get a little bit crazy and frenetic and weird about, you know, oh no, I'm sitting at the cafe deciding whether I should have tea or coffee. I don't know, what's God's will? Let me pray. Oh, I better call some friends, you know, and oh God, seek God. Is there a scripture? I don't know. I need an unction. Oh, Spirit of God, speak to me. Soy milk or not? I don't know. You know, it's like, you know, obviously that's just neurotic and weird and, you know, but uh, so God trusts us, um, you know, and, and puts desires in our heart that we can lean on and develop and, and determine this is God's will. And he often said, you know, people say, oh, God, what should, what should I do? And God's basically saying, what do you want to do? Oh, it can't be that simple. Uh, probably if I want to do this, it mustn't be God's will. Well, it must be the devil. You know, but God plants desires in our hearts, so you can lead and lean into that. And so God has designed us all differently, and we've all got uh, a different direction and different purpose based on our gifts 
and, uh, and he wants us to do something like it says there, something good, something productive, and that's going to mean that it's something rewarding, and you do something good with your life, yeah? And of course, in this 20s, this is the classic age where you go searching for what you're best designed for with your, your ministry skills, the spiritual gifts you've got, natural aptitude for a certain career. So for me, I loved kids. When I was, you know, younger, I, uh, I thought it's going to do teaching or social work when I leave school. I changed my preferences for uni and said, I, I, won't make, I won't get the marks for social work, so I'll do teaching. I did get the marks for social work, but I'm glad I did teaching. And by the time I was 20, I was qualified to teach. I taught in Sydney, taught overseas, uh, and I love kids, still do, still teach sometimes. But I could also tell God was leading me on towards something else. My, it wasn't my absolute life calling, so I prayed. And, uh, and this is why I always encourage young people, like Tim, uh, for example, I always encourage young people to get a qualification, even if you don't stick to it for, forever. Just get something that you can do that isn't just, you know, random base uh, unskilled labour, something that you can be skilled at because you can get paid better, you can find it more rewarding, you can go back to it. So I remember Tim, we had coffee many years ago and he was working in a job that wasn't really going anywhere and I, I remember challenging him and saying, well, you've got the gift of the gab and you're good and he liked the whole... Uh, what do you call the subjects these days? Technical uh, design, technology stuff. He liked it. I said, "Well, you could, you'd be a good teacher at that." On the way, he went off. He went to uni, and now he's just been amazing in that career. Uh, and so, it, you know, it hasn't. It doesn't have to be for the rest of your life, but it's always good to. Um, and I've gone back to teaching at different times. Uh, and then, of course, I went to Bible college, followed God's leading, met Ruth there, trained for ministry, and. Uh, uh, bridal college, as they used to call it, and uh, you know, uh, and we had this rule: you're not allowed to date throughout that whole year of intensive seeking God. You know, but we didn't need to date; we could just check out the, the the. It was the Holy Ghost and chemistry. It was a combo, you know. And at the end of the year, on our first date, we pretty much knew we were going to get married. Within a few weeks, we were engaged. The pastors. They were very concerned because Ruth was the real golden girl and they thought, who is this upstart trying to sweep her off her feet? And I remember, I remember asking Pastor Simon McIntyre, what do you think, you know, like Ruth and me, you know? And he went, get back into first gear. I was like, thanks for the encouragement. Yeah, they really believed in me, didn't they? Yeah. And um, oh, anyway, so there's a whole long story there. So, uh, and then, of course, you know, I went back into the workforce in different uh, jobs and, uh, but always felt led towards full-time ministry that God called us to and that's where you know we launched into it when we went to Russia with two of our children came back sent to the central coast and praise the Lord we've been here nearly 30 years actually when we came back Pastor Phil Pringle said all right you're going to be on the central coast that's great can you I want you to commit for two years and we went yeah we yeah we can do that so I think you had people sort of chopping and changing and all that. And so uh, we had no problem with that. And God's never called us anywhere else. So here we are. Um, but again, that's my journey in that ages of 20 to 30. But at any stage of life, you can discover God's calling for your life. And again, it doesn't mean you're going to go, oh, and you hear trumpets from heaven and it's going to be like this blueprint opens up before you and you know every day you look at your diary, oh, it's been pre-filled, 
like some software from heaven. And there's, you know, little emoji of Michael the Archangel going, yep, today this is what you're going to do. It, it, of course, we discover along the way, but God has got a great plan. And, uh, and some people, they know from a young age, like their career calling, like Bethany. Flip, she, I knew as a primary school teacher, this chick will be a great primary school teacher. She loved kids when she was a kid. She was looking after kids. You know, and of course, and, the, and I had the privilege this week doing a bit of casual up here, seeing Bethany in action in her class and uh, just brilliant. And, and of course, for other people, they don't know as early or as clearly, oh, that's what I'm going to do. You can discover it. Maybe sometimes you're crossing things off the list because you're like, I tried that. I didn't feel that was my call, you know, and, this, and we're on a journey. And, uh, and as I said, for us, uh, yeah, we just, um, we just felt called back here. And, uh, and, and Luke and Shelley are visiting, and I've said this before, um, Luke is representative of our church because our church is as old as Luke. And in fact, if I asked Luke to stand up and take his shirt off, I would say we are as healthy as Luke because he's a specimen of uh, brilliant design from God and management. So I'm very tempted to ask him to do that one day. Uh, um, he won't. He won't do it. He's blushing, you know. But, but as I said, that is, if you are visiting and you want to find a healthy church, like I said, the church was started the year Luke was born. And just maybe in the courtyard, just say, come on, mate, just maybe a little, just, just, just grab your shirt and try and whip it off. Anyway, so um, as I said, any stage of life, discover God's calling on your life for serving Him, for the kind of work you do, for the way you're going to build a family, who you're going to get married to. That's a reasonably big decision. Uh, you'll agree. And God will help you. He'll bring the right person to you, especially if you're seeking Him, not seeking the person. I've seen so many times people are like getting a little desperate and we're getting a bit older and they're checking everybody out. It's like, just, just forget that and settle in a good local church, seek God. And then what do you know? You're worshiping God and you go, oh, hello. And there's someone that God brings. Ages 30 to 40. Stage four, dwell in the land. This is the decade where most people find a place to stop, stay and settle. You tend to get into a groove with your chosen career. Maybe you buy a house, you finish having children. Although if you're the martinis, you just don't seem to stop. No matter, you know, you just go on forever. Um, in fact, there's probably a competition we're going with you guys and the Kayses. We've got a family here, about 12 children. Um, it's, not, it's not 12, but I lose count. It's, it's a lot. You know, they're all gorgeous. If you see a blonde young girl dancing around, it's, yeah, I know. It's, it's, yeah, thanks, babe. I'm, yeah, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. It's six. I know it's six, Stephen Shade. Yes, Ruth's just correcting me, but not realising. Uh, so Psalm 37 verse 3, do you know this passage? Trust in the Lord. It's always a good thing to do. We could just stop and think about that for an hour. Trust in the Lord and do good. Here we go. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Then the next few verses are worth reading. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. I mentioned about that, you know, trying to figure out God's will. Delight yourself in Him. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. He'll do this. He'll make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And the psalm goes on. It's brilliant and wonderful promise. But look back at that first verse. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. So as I said, this is often when people are 
you know, building a family, building their future. And, and, and of course, that doesn't mean that you can't move around geographically, that you have to get stuck somewhere forever because you might work uh, in a multinational firm, uh, you know, in ministry, God calls people uh, to different cities or even countries at different times. If you're in the military, you might get moved around. But even if you move geographically, when you're in God's will, there's always a place of being settled. You'll be at peace. You'll be stable wherever you go and forever and for however long you're in that one place. And part of this is being planted in a good local church wherever you go. And Hudson uh, is outfield today uh, with the army but when he was in the full-time army uh, for more than 10 years all over the country in fact I think like most states how many states and territories you got seven total well I think he's been in like five of them posted different but he always found a church always went to a church and if he had time he would serve in the church as a drummer and uh, and and he, he learned from different churches and different styles of ministry uh, but he was smart enough to just go, I'm going to connect and settle and sit and, you know, sit under the preaching and be in a place where I'm worshipping. And uh, I, I've been raving about my children a little too much, so, except for Eleanor. So I'll just throw Eleanor in. You're brilliant. And Keelan, uh, saving lives at the beach uh, like you did recently. So I think that covers most of the kids. And, 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 and all you. I love, in the immortal words of Jeff Fennick, the boxer, I love you all. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, um, so, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, you know, part of being settled and planted, I think, is uh, also discovering uh, love for people and relationships that God builds over the long term. Uh, and that's often the great discovery people have when they're in the local church and, you know, for me, I, I, I was born with a, a strong uh, kind of task-oriented, choleric personality. Um, but over the years, you'll be pleased to know that God has sort of polished a little of that let's get things done motivation and sanded it back a bit to more let's get things done, but let's not forget people along the way. You know, <laughs> let's, let's bring the people along. Let's love people. Um, in fact, whenever I do those you know, disc strength finder, personality profile things. I've, I've looked over the years, I finish it and, I, and it'll say, you are a, you know, and I'm like, really? They, oh, wow. Because once it was like, you are a psycho type A, get out of my way kind of guy. I'd be like, yep, that's me. And now these days I do it and it's like, you're loving and you're careful and you're gentle. I'm like, this, that can't be me, you know. So I think God is... You know, working on me to help me. Actually, you'll be pleased to know, in in, in my line of work, it doesn't hurt to actually like people, <laughs> and that, and that's why I love you know that chosen series. I love the way they portray Jesus because, you know, traditionally we were saying this yesterday with some blokes over breakfast that. You know, some of those older movies, it's like, Jesus is so serious, so weird and ethereal and his hair's perfect and it's all kind of... But this Jesus in that one, uh, of course he's focused, he's purposeful, he's driven by destiny, the call, uh, you know, to save the world is upon his shoulders and yet he's enjoying the journey, as they say. He's connecting with people. He's joking and laughing and hanging out with the disciples and it's so cool because he's dwelling in the land you know he's he's 
ah, what do they say? Enjoy the moment, savour the moment, smell the roses and drink the coffee or whatever they say. Uh, they're just, he's with people. In fact, you know, interestingly, Jesus could have come at any time of history. When he did come, he didn't race all over the world. He didn't even zip all over the Roman Empire. He was in a reasonably small area. He just walked everywhere he went. And they reckon he got up to about 5,000 kilometres of walking over his three and a half years of ministry. And that's, you know, a few k's a day average. But there would have been times where he just stayed and settled in one place and then other days were like, we're on the road. But he's walking along with people. Like literally, we talk about walking with Jesus in life. He literally did while he was here. He didn't just sort of pop out here and then quick, I've got to get over to Rome and I zip all over there. He was quite happy to settle in one place with one small group of people and connect with them and build relationships with them. And I think that's a real discovery in life. You know, as I said, for, for us, it, it worked. That's how God called us. But even if you have, you know, travelled and moved around for your job, that's, that's all on different journeys. But wherever we go, there should be a, a settled peace in our spirit because of our connection with God and connected with the local church and God leading us to build relationships with people. And we learn from each other. We get blessed by being with other people. Yeah? And so we don't want to be disconnected. For ages 40 to 50, count it all joy or no pain, no gain. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So many people in their 40s face challenges that require perseverance to endure. And, uh, and you need a good close walk with God to keep your joy. And, uh, and this is often because things aren't new and fresh anymore. You know, the thrill of getting married or seeing a baby born or, or travelling on that big overseas trip or buying your first home. For many people, it's like, oh, yeah, been there, done that. We tick the box. And, and on top of that, in your 40s, you might be bored with your job. Your cute little kids are now teenagers and they're like, oh, flip, you know, it's all happening. These kids are big, tough, you know, kids rather than these cute little munchkin heads. And, uh, and so for us, in that era, that stage of life, 40 to 50, we had some exciting developments in the life of our church and our work. Uh, leading the church, we found this property in that decade. So what are we talking about? This is like 2003 to 2013 in my life. Uh, and, uh, and that was cool, you know. But we also had dramas with the council and finances and negotiating and raising money for this to become a good facility for God's purposes. We also faced a season of crazy attack, real spiritual warfare. Ruth and I had to press into God and build tenacity and endurance and courage to keep serving God and not just walk away from our calling. And, and this is often the case when you're building something worthwhile, whether it's a family, a career, a marriage, a business or a church, you pay the price for something that's valuable. You know, if something's really, really worth it, that the whole concept of worth something means there's a price to pay. It doesn't come free. It's not cheap. And so there are challenges that you've got to overcome. You've got to be prepared to grow with oh, strength and courage and, and, and the ability to persevere and obey God. That's why Jesus talked about carrying your cross. 
you know, being aware of the cost of following him. I don't think we've got it on the screen, but just listen to Luke 14. Jesus said, if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you've counted the cost for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost. So there is a price to pay, but it's worth paying it. Yeah, And notice there in James, he says, count it all joy when you face trials because God calls us to joy. Uh, and particularly for blokes in their 40s, I found I had a mate and we would ring, how are you going? Very close friend, we still talk regularly. And in our 40s, we noticed something. He said, oh yeah, my kids are saying I'm being grumpy. Oh, and so are my kids. It's all their fault, it must be their f- you know. <laughs> Yeah, well, my wife's saying it too. Oh, really? Okay. And we noticed, and Ruth pointed this out, and we've noticed sometimes middle-aged blokes can get grumpy because it's like, I, oh, wow, gee, I got a new car. Well, you had a new car before. It's no big deal. Or, you, like I said, nothing sort of fresh and new. It's like, I'm just in the same job. So you've got to embrace some things and enjoy some things that might not be super cool or innovative or fresh. And you've got to watch that you don't just sort of get down and in the dumps. And, uh, and so you've got to... My mate and I, we kept tabs on each other and we'd call and say, are you, are you being a grumpy old bloke or are you, you, know, are you joyful? And so God has got joy for us. And interestingly, right there in the midst of the trials, James says, count it all joy. Be excited. God, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know? And so I think there's something there for, for us all. Whenever you face trials and challenges, you can face it with joy and in God. Finally, the last decade, I've discovered, and I, you'll be pleased to know, that I enjoy church and that church is family. And uh, look, you know, just a very brief, Ruth and I trained for ministry in the height of the church growth movement. Bigger is better. That's basically the paradigm. You know, church buildings were repurposed factories that you could buy as big as you could possibly get. That was the mindset. But over the years... And it's not just us, but like I said, the church at large has discovered that the church, in essence, is a family. It's relationships. It's about community. It's about authenticity. And it's not just about a slick presentation or a great big performance or everything just all lined up. And it's okay if things are messy and imperfect as long as we are connected with the Lord and connected with each other and got a heart for him. And so we realised along the way and over the last, you know, 10 or so years, that strengthened. And that's why we talk about apple trees and oak trees, you know, and we, we say, well, some churches are oak trees and that's awesome. You know, they're just big and that's how God's designed them. But every pastor I know, when we went out to plant churches in the 90s, we all thought we're going to have a church of thousands because that's the only way otherwise. And sadly, a lot of guys just bailed because that didn't happen. But Jesus has been building his church for 2,000 years and the average size church around the world is about 100 people. So Jesus is either failing badly or he doesn't mind some churches not being mega churches of thousands of people. And so we realise, yeah, okay, so we'll just serve God, be obedient wherever we are and not fuss. And as the Bible says, God brings the increase. And sometimes there's not as much increase as you might like, but that's not what's important. What's important is obeying God, loving him, loving people. So that's a real short little picture of some of the soul-searching and discoveries we've found over the years and particularly feeling confident in the last 10 years. Uh, it's okay, you know, for churches to be whatever size they are as long as they're still vibrantly connected with the Holy Ghost and loving people, loving the wider community and building a community of faith, hope and love. Amen? 
And so uh, lots of scriptures that, that back that whole concept up. Let me finish with one. Ephesians 2, 19, Paul talking as a Jew to Gentiles, non-Jewish people like you and me. No, he says, Gentiles now, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. You're citizens along with all of God's people. You are members of God's family. And he goes on saying, you're built on the foundations of the apostles. Jesus is the cornerstone. You're being built into a holy temple. God lives by his spirit. So in summary, number one, learn to submit to authority. It'll do you good. Number two, give your life to Christ. Number three, discover God's plan for your life. Number four, find a place of peace and stability in your life through Christ. Number five, develop courage and endurance through the tough times. And number five, plant yourself in the local church. Discover that it's his family. Build community and connections. Amen. Forgive me, I'm two minutes over time. Never happen again. Praise the Lord. Come on, let's pray. Come on, we pray. And then we're finished with a song and then fellowship in the courtyard. We love you, Lord. We thank you for, again, today, the opportunity to gather, to worship you and to just come around your word and consider our lives and different stages of it. And I pray everyone here would just be reflective about what they're learning currently, what we really need to learn, what we want to grow in. And more than anything, I want you to give your life to Christ. If you're here today, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. The essence of Christianity, it's, you know, it's not going to church, not being a good person, not owning a Bible. It's not about traditions. It's a relationship with God in heaven. And He revealed Himself by sending Jesus to this world. And we read about the life of Jesus in the Bible. And then we come close to Him by praying and then we give Him our life and He gives us His life in exchange. And that's what I meant by being born again. We get a brand new start in life. And if you need to do that, you've never done that, I want to encourage you, make that decision today. Pray a very simple prayer. Pray, pray this prayer. I'll tell you what to pray right now. You could pray this prayer. You'd say these words, Father God in heaven, I give you my life. I thank you, Jesus for coming to earth and dying on the cross for my sin, for my mistakes, in my place. Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. Amen. I pray if you prayed that prayer, that's very simple, but if you pray that as a heartfelt, real prayer, for the first time or maybe as a recommitment to God just come and talk to me or maybe someone you've come to church with will follow you up with some uh, material like a Bible or a booklet and talk more about what it is it's the best journey and exciting uh, path you could ever have in life to be a follower of Jesus thank you Lord We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.